You're listening to Behind the Wheels with Doug Mason, Dave Walters, and Mike Yeagley. This is a show where we talk about heavy truck and medium-duty axolands. Doug, Dave, and Mike bring close to 100 years of experience and expertise in the transportation business. Join us once a month to learn new things about axolands. Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Wheels. I'm Mike Yeagley. I'm Dave Walters. And stepping in for us today is uh, Doug Mason will not be here. So we have Michael Novoslowski joining us from Alcoa Wheels, uh, the sales organization. Mike, how you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? Good to be here. Great to have you. Uh, for today, we're going to be talking a little bit with Jason Cuddy. Uh, he is the host of uh, the Transportation Exchange podcast uh, put out by Rush Truck Centers. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. So glad you were able to join us. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, just to give us a little little feel for who you are. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so currently, we'll, we'll start here and go backwards. So currently, uh, account manager here at Rush Truck Centers of Canada, based in uh, the southern Ontario region. And I'm working out of the Oshawa locations, just a little bit east of uh, the Toronto market. Uh, got started 20, I guess we're now 21 years ago in the trailer rental world. Did that for about seven years. Uh, did some forklift parts and service sales for three years and then realized I had too many friends, too many connections in this industry, got pulled back in and haven't left since. Went back into trailers, uh, worked at Ryder for a handful of years doing truck leasing and kind of morphed into the dealership world that we are in here. So that's the the shortened version of how I got in here and the, the journey to today. I think everybody has a circuitous route to this business, unless you're like a Dave Walters where you're born into it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there's not a whole lot of people who go through high school thinking I'm going to be uh, in this business. This is sort of a family, a family industry, and a lot of us get sucked into it and fall in love with it that way. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the Transportation Exchange podcast? Yeah, so that came out... Um, it was an idea we had. I mean, I'd been listening to podcasts for quite a while. And, you know, like anything, when you listen to it or watch it enough, you think you can do it. So you figure, hey, let's let's dive in and try this. So it's an idea I had thinking there's a couple formats I'd listen to that I found intriguing as far as they would talk to kind of, you know, like better words, local celebrities. And they'd get their background and their history and kind of you learned a lot about the person you've seen all the time, but you didn't know who they were. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be kind of interesting for our industry. You know, we again, it's a tight knit group, as you know. You know a lot of the people, but you don't know them, you know, so you know who they are, you know what they do with you from a, a working point of view, you, you hung out with them at some industry events, but you never got to know the person. So I thought this would be kind of a cool way to provide some different content for the customers, um, allow us to kind of get into other, you know, areas of the industry that we maybe don't touch with the products and services we offer, but it gets the name out there. But it gets us to know our suppliers, our customers a little bit better. And we kind of came up with a, a two-prong approach where we talked to OEM and, and manufacturers like yourself and, you know, Cummins and Maxon and those kind of companies and sit down with, with, with our main contacts, learn about the company, learn about the people and, and their background and how they got into the industry and, you know, their, their path to where they are today. And then, you know, talk about the products and services and kind of new information and technologies that, you know, may not be aware to everybody. And on top of that, we've started talking to some key personalities, uh, CEOs, uh, owners of businesses, 
and dive into their history of how they got into it, how they started a company, what they've gone through, how did they grow it, what have they learned. You know, that, that 20, 30 minutes with, with a CEO that you, you don't normally get, well, now, you know, they're all their employees and, you know, their friends can, can kind of hear that conversation. They probably always wanted to ask, never had a chance to. So we've done, I think we have about eight episodes posted now. We started in 2019 and then COVID hit and that kind of shut us down for quite a while. And we right. effectively launched it at uh, about September of last year. So we've got about eight episodes uh, posted up on our website, and we've pre-recorded a whole bunch more. So it's it's gaining some traction. Uh, the, the guests have been great. It's been it's been fun conversation. I mean, you know, kind of like yourselves, we like to keep it to a, a loose conversation. Where at the end of the day, you know, if you're driving between appointments or on your way home, you can throw it on in the car, listen to it, and you may learn something by the end of the uh, the trip. Right. Russia, Russia Truck Centers is like a 600-pound gorilla out there when it comes to what you guys do. So that puts you in a real good position to really get access to some some fantastic folks. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Rush, just for those folks that are listening that aren't real familiar with you guys? Yeah. So, and even in Canada, it's the, the Rush brand is is fairly new. Obviously, you know, in North America, like you said, they are a behemoth of a of a dealership group. In Canada, that is at this point no exception either. I believe we're the largest uh, truck dealer group in Canada. So, you know, we started off in 1973 as Tallman Truck Centers. So I guess Kempville Truck Centers first and got changed to Tallman Truck Centers. And Tallman went through some acquisitions, grew across, you know, if you're familiar with the Southern Ontario area, across the 401 corridor. So effectively from Ottawa all the way out to Mississauga, all those stops in between, they had locations. And back in 2019, they uh, entered into a joint venture with Rush Enterprises. So the Rush that everyone knows in the U.S. that owns all the dealerships uh, is a joint venture between them and what was Tallman Group and rebranded as Rush Truck Centers of Canada. Uh, so we leveraged on the name that, that Rush is to kind of grow our visibility, uh, did some more acquisitions since. And the nice part is it's allowed us to, you know, we're 20 plus locations in Ontario which is a lot given the, the footprint of what we carry, but it allows all our customers the Rush Network footprint into the state, which I believe is over 120 locations. So it's it's a great value to our customers. And just the, like you said, the, the oomph behind it, the branding, the marketing, we've got a great team here in Canada that does the marketing and leverage what they do in the States to get the brand out. And I think it's, it's, it's really worked. The brand awareness has definitely grown here in Canada. And it's, it's been a fun venture for the last couple of years. So we're going through uh, a very, very unique time right now with COVID and and the shortages and everything else going on. Michael, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you're seeing out there as far as the the truck builds and and what's happening. And then maybe uh, I'd love to hear what what Jason has to say about what he's seeing there. Sure. Um, yeah, thanks, Mike. I deal with a lot of uh, fleets and dealers across the uh, northeast of the United States and, and Canada as well. And uh, getting to talk to a lot of these maintenance managers and the guys who are purchasing the, the new trucks and inspecting those and learning a lot about how these trucks are coming in for them, if they're able to get them or not. And so, Jason, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on that with you being on the, the dealer side of things. And so, with with a shortage of truck builds this year and uh, how they're coming uh, how they're coming in, how have you guys been able to overcome that and, and help get owner operators and, and fleets the equipment that they need uh, to help drive their business and continue to uh, to grow? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's been challenging, I guess is the best way to say it. The year started off normal, I guess for lack of better words, and a little bit strong, especially coming off of, of the year previously with, with COVID. So that definitely became some bit more certainty in the marketplace. And then it, it pretty much just exploded. Uh, the orders went crazy. The order boards, you know, for us and all OEMs and, you know, from, from our side, the OEMs, we rep, obviously we're, we're international. We carry Isuzu and we carry Kalmar Ottawa. And all three of those product lines have seen, you know, massive order uptakes this year. So to overcome that, the best way we've been trying to manage it has been, you know, some inventory management. Uh, we have a phenomenal amount of equipment on order for inventory to land throughout the year, uh, as well as whatever customers are ordering. You know, we try and leverage some spots if we can to help push dates up. The challenge now we're trying to overcome is really getting stuff up here that's built. Uh, just the logistics of getting everything moved up to here from the factories has been challenging and now dealing with all the additional componentry delay. So at first it was the order board delay, just, you know, the order board filling up. Well, now the order board is full and you're having componentry issues. You know, we hear about the semiconductors causing issues, which will cause, you know, shutdowns and delays across all the OEMs. So we're, we're seeing that as well. And then it just becomes a matter of kind of working with the customer, explain to them where we're seeing delays, what the delays are, you know, can we work with it on them? Can we manage that? And then how does that impact the upfitters as well? So it was one thing to get the truck built and then by the time you get to the body, you could be into another delay potentially there. So it, it's definitely not uncommon for everybody, but to help the, the owner operators and, the, and, you know, the fleets usually kind of do their, their bulk purchases, the owner operator side, definitely a lot of inventory on order and aggressively picking up anything used that we can help backfill any of the gaps for the guys. So it sounds sort of like a dynamic sort of thing. You don't know what's going to be holding up a, a delivery. You can't even give customers any guidance saying, oh, well, if you avoid this option, then things tend to go faster. It seems like everything's coming in slow. It, it seems like it. I mean, I think the the semiconductor piece and, you know, we heard about it and then you start reading about it and then you understand what it what it really is and you kind of understand where where the delays are and it can be everything i mean anything from the truck itself you know the dashes that have a whole bunch of computers tied to it obviously the engines themselves right whether it's cummins or our engine uh, the transmissions there's a whole bunch of equipment on those trucks that require these pieces and anyone thing can slow you down and and now we're getting into some raw materials whether it's steel and that you know talking to some of the suspension guys where they may run out or be delayed getting, you know, a little piece for suspension. But if everyone's running that suspension, that gets pushed out too. So right. it's, it, you're seeing it getting stressed everywhere. So yeah, to your point, there really is no one thing where you can say, hey, if, if you don't take option A, the truck will come six weeks sooner. I don't, you know, you kind of had that maybe at the start where you, you had some heads up on some componentry were, were already delayed. But I think now we're at a point where it, it doesn't really matter. Everything's kind of all kind of lumped together at this point. Last I heard, the I'm hearing the semiconductor issue could be as long as two years before it's resolved. I, I don't know if you have better insight than that. I don't have any official insight other than, you know, what we've seen in reds. I know, you know, I understand what caused it and they have a, clearly about a six to nine month, you know, basically delay of any production for this market, for the automotive market, including the, the consumer car market as well. So I think where everyone had an advantage was anyone who had stockpiled or had the componentry on the shelf got a, a few more weeks of production in before they started hitting some some brick walls but 
it's, I guess it's the re-ramp up of moving away from the consumer electronic uh, side of it and more into the automotive side is the, um, it's really what's kind of causing the great unknown. Um, but yeah, so I think it really depends, I guess, on, you know, which, which factors being impacted as far as the componentry on the truck, as far as what the delays will be. Yeah, I think I was reading an article, I thought it was in transport topics where they said that, you know, the, the latest is so sort of a worst case scenario, but two years is unimaginable to me. <laughs> you know, yeah. this sort of thing go on for that long. I'm hoping, uh, you know, I'm hoping, I guess I've been working on the assumption six to nine months and this will be resolved, but I'm, uh, I'm wondering, you know, I, I'm wondering how much I can trust what I'm reading. It's, it's true. And I think part of it is the ramp up. I think the six to nine months is where everyone took a break of building for this market. Right. So you have that off the bat, regardless, you got to catch that up. But they all switched to making, you know, the semiconductors for, you know, phones and TVs and, you know, the, the uptick in, in, the, in the consumer market that everyone's at home. So people are buying TVs or buying better TVs and laptops right, and everything. Right. And if that market hasn't swelled down, then you've got to figure out how do you how do you increase production? Right. So if right. you haven't you haven't lost you know, that capacity, then yeah, you're, that's probably where you're getting that time frame coming from. So you got to figure out how to ramp up and support both at the volumes they need to be at, which would be a monstrous task for sure. Yeah, I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that article was wrong. So uh, you probably have the best view. I'm, I'm thinking probably have the best view of specking where customers are going, specking out what they want on their trucks. And, and I'd like to pick your brain a little bit uh, what you guys, you guys are seeing. Uh, let's start with medium duty. What do you see as being the big trends in the medium duty space? Medium duty wise, especially when we're talking to some fleets, what I'm starting to see trickle down, especially with interest uh, as far as quoting options and even looking at taking is a lot of the safety features. So we saw it in all the class eight stuff as far as, you know, lane departure, the collision mitigation that seems to be, I don't say a common stay, but it's definitely uh, a more significant piece in the specs uh, for those trucks. And that's definitely trickling down now, I'd say, to the medium duty. A lot of the fleets are very interested in the collision mitigation, lane departure warning. Anything Makes a lot of sense. Keep guys sense, uh, safe, sorry. Yeah, so we're, we're seeing that uh, being asked about quite a bit. You know, that's that's been probably the biggest difference. Everything outside of that becomes very application specific. So depending on the vocation that the truck's going to be in, there's going to be some nuance to what guys are looking for. Some guys are, are still fuel economy, depending on how far they're running with, with the little trucks and what they're doing. But yeah, the safety thing I'd say has been the, probably the biggest change or biggest uptick in, in questions when we're specking for, for the medium duty. To me, that, that makes a lot of sense, it, you know, just conjecture on my part, but you're moving with the medium duty space, you move away from the professional drivers, you're getting more the kind of features that you see in the automotive side are going to be very interesting to that medium duty folk, because that's the kind of drivers they have, right? They're looking at the drivers and they're saying, well, you know, lane assist would be a, a great one, you know, and when you look at the litigation uh, associated with that, it makes a lot of sense to have that that a little extra safety. Is that sort of the reasoning you're saying? I mean, this is just me guessing. <laughs> I yeah, don't really that, know. That's a fair point. With the fleets, we see it again. If, you know, for up here, it's a, depending on the weight of the vehicle, the gross weight, gross weight vehicle weight rating, it's um, you, you get the same license as you do to drive a car, to drive half these trucks, right? So to your point, the, the driver 
cool is, uh, you know, they're professional in the sense that they do it for a living, but they haven't had professional driver training. They don't have right, right. a certain different licensing. So yeah, so the, the, the driver pool is a little bit different. So fleets by that nature, I think, you know, with litigation insurance and just overall wanting to make sure everyone's safe, that the safety piece kind of helps keep everyone in line, kind of in the same boat. When you get to the smaller companies where they have a couple of trucks, that feature is not quite as much as important to them. You know, they only have a couple of trucks. The guy's probably been working there his whole life kind of thing. So might be those, driving it himself. Yeah, oh, exactly. Or they're driving themselves. So those trucks usually get replaced when they're done. So the life cycle is different than the class eight guys or even the fleet guys. They don't necessarily replace them every three or four years or every five or six years. It's it's a different life cycle. So, you know, from a, a spec point of view, you're looking at componentry that needs to maybe last and hold up a little bit longer than the fleet by which has a life cycle of four or five years or six years and then cycled out and replaced again. So the the requirements of how long that thing looks nice and holds up can be different depending on the application. So looking at from a little larger scope, just the whole industry, both heavy truck, everybody, what do you see in customers get excited about when they're looking at trucks? Where, where do you see the industry going? So the big buzz clearly we see it a lot and i get asked about it a lot and you know, we're we're still for some of our product lines we're still kind of in the infancy of it but definitely the uh the electrification of the vehicles that seems to be a hot topic depending on where you are you know here you know in canada and ontario specific a, a lot of it is you know subsidy driven uh, there's not a lot of financial support currently for bringing these product lines on uh, so we don't see a lot of it here yet a lot of guys are interested in doing their homework, finding out what OEMs are there. Obviously, our Calmar Ottawa has a fully electric shunt truck um, that's you know being tested in the Northeast to make sure it can handle the winters and and all that. So, you know, there's there's a lot of buzz on that truck. I know there has been in Western Canada for it. So that that's one of the product lines we have where we have something kind of on the shelf that we can talk about and bring out to guys. The other two product lines are coming. It's just, you know, it's timing and uh, it'll take some time. But that seems to be the biggest buzz that guys ask me about. And as the, I guess, the infrastructure pops up for it as well as the support for it financially, it'll definitely make a lot more sense to a lot of customers to consider looking at it. Because, you know, the, the capital cost of this equipment isn't cheap. And depending on what your ROI is, you're looking to get out of the truck, your time frame's got to make sense to for the investment. You know, I know in places like California, the subsidies almost neutralize the cost of, of the right. electrification. So it almost becomes a no-brainer to some extent. So at some point I could see, you know, there being more aggressive subsidies to offset this, but as it stands right now, it's it's not there enough to really be a, a big draw for everybody, but they're definitely excited to learn more about it, whether it's a hybrid version that you see some manufacturers are making for just electric drivetrains or it's a full out OEM offering. And then on top of that, the other the other one we're seeing a lot more, just the technology, the safety, we've talked about that. So that seems to be kind of commonplace on the class eight guys. They like the lane departure, the, the radar, uh, the, the technology that's, that's on these trucks is, is stunning. You know, when you think about it, as far as from a safety point of view, it's pretty neat. And then just the ability for the truck to communicate. So with the Navistar product line, they have their on-command connect, which is, you know, the remote diagnostics. So you can get information pushed to you as a fleet manager of what's going on with the truck. When there's a check engine light, you can tell the driver what's going on. 
schedule a service call, you know, wherever you are and get to keep the guy running. Like that wasn't around 20 years ago when you're running fleets. You had to wait for the guy to break down, find a payphone, he can call you. <laughs> and right, right. So, if, you know, if you're running a fleet or you own a company, this stuff is is extremely powerful. It's extremely exciting. And it's bottom line savings for you because you're taking costs out of your business. So the technology, I'd say, is definitely the exciting things to talk about for all the OEMs. Michael, what, what are you hearing? Uh, are you hearing any any buzz in your wanderings uh, of, about electrification? So I deal with a lot of transit fleets as well, and there's a lot of testing going on in the industry. I don't think anyone's fully there yet. There's no fleets out there that are fully utilizing electric trucks right now, but New York City Transit, they have a few buses in their fleet that they're testing. And I mean, I know I've seen some uh, some garbage truck companies that are using and testing electric trucks. So I think it depends on the, the application of the trucks where you're seeing these uh, electrifications taking place. And I, I think that's the biggest thing because range is obviously a huge part of electri- electrification. If you have a truck that's only going a couple hundred miles a day, like a a school bus fleet where they have the same route scheduled every single day. I think that's where we're starting to see it a whole lot. I think uh, it was like Montgomery County uh, down in Maryland, I believe. I think they're one of the first fleets, the school bus fleets that are starting to switch everything over to uh, electric school buses. So it'll be interesting to see how that takes place and how the infrastructure actually comes in and they're able to to charge these uh, these buses. I'm curious to see how much how much money they're actually going to start saving in, in fuel costs too, because that'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, and that's I, I would imagine, Jason. You deal with a lot of different fleets. I'm sure they're all keeping a real close eye on the costs. I I hear electricity, you know, costs may be coming down. I mean, you hear all sorts of stuff. And like Dave and I talk a lot. I watch this stuff, but I'm sure that the fleets are watching it a hundred times more closely than I am. So if you have a little, their ear a little bit, maybe you have a little more insight. Well, definitely the fleets. Yeah, you said the fleets that crunch the numbers well, and most do, obviously most big fleets. But, you know, when you get to a certain size, you've got someone managing that fleet, you know, the nuts and bolts, and you're, you're measuring everything, fuel economy, right, right. tire wear, maintenance costs. And, and most of them got it down to a cost per mile, uh, depending what what they put into that, that cost. But they've got a number. And so you know what you're trying to hit uh, on an ROI when you get to electrification of the vehicle. You know, obviously there's some upfitting costs as far as the infrastructure at the facility to account for. So, you know, those may hit different buckets for guys. So there is there's an initial upfront cost. But then, yeah, once it's in service between your fuel costs and your maintenance costs, you're running a fully electric truck, you're not draining oil, you don't have fluids, you have a lot less wear items. There's over time, all the other kind of costs in theory should start dropping off. As long as you know your, you said your electricity cost isn't too aggressive, and the capital costs you know doesn't put you way out the left field from the start. But yeah, so that that's where guys are looking at it, right? And and I know some of the some of the OEMs will, will provide at least some basic calculators, kind of run some numbers and crunch it and try and get to a you know a mile per gallon kind of idea of what the equivalent electricity is, and so you can put some numbers to that and try and make sense of. Of where that shakes out versus you know what you're doing today with, with diesel so yeah the savvy ones they've, they've they know their numbers they know what number they need to hit and it's um then it's just a matter of does it make sense the investment versus the return and and you know it's all new right i think that's the biggest thing yeah it's all new um you know how long do the batteries last what's the cost to replace the batteries you know i, I lived through it in the forklift world 
you know, granted it was about 15 years ago, but things were going to AC power electric equipment and the initial uh, upfront cost was huge, but once guys got into it for a little bit, the benefits totally outweighed. You know, maintenance was a lot less. So despite the higher capital costs, the return investment totally makes sense for safety. So I think as the technology grows here, you get a lot more data coming from different companies that are running it. Guys can crunch numbers and really see what the value is in it before that versus going forward. Hey, uh, Dave, welcome back. Um, hey, thank you, thank you. I've been listening, but I didn't realize somehow in this modern technology, my mic was muted in, I don't know. <laughs> so I hope you can hear me now. But anyhow, yeah. I wanted to kind of throw in, Jason, I think, is right on about right now electrification to what I would say major fleets is everybody's watching it very closely, but until they can see, they understand their costs so great. Sometimes I think, wow, you know, us suppliers or vendors out there trying to tell them about this is going to save you this. They, they know that better than what we do. And they are looking at everything. And as soon as it makes sense, you know, the, I, I come back to the natural gas and, and the waste industry really jumped into the natural gas because there was all this government money. And I haven't heard where, you know, certain states are really pushing electrification. But, you know, when you're running 48 states, you know, where's the money coming from to subsidize you? So that's one of the big things they look for. And like I said, I remember the natural gas much similar you know you had a truck that was going to be back to the same thing you could get that done and we thought it was really going to take totally over the market and really didn't do that so i think everybody's watching because fuel costs is the most expensive thing they have if they can do away with fuel costs that's big time money but again what's your offset so that's kind of where i see and jason i think hit that right on the head so that gets into a, a, a bigger discussion on all the components. We, we talked about electrification. We, now, that's a huge change, but there's a lot smaller changes that customers have to be thinking about. And, and Dave, I'm going to just take a break here. If you could mute again, and I hopefully you'll be able to come back if we need you, but uh, there's a lot of background noise. If you could, if you could mute it, I'd appreciate that. We have this huge thing, electrification out there. Uh, but there's a lot smaller decisions that customers are having to make about component by component by component. How do you work with customers? How do the dealers work with customers to guide them through that? It seems a, it's sort of like a, a little bit of a maze to there's so many choices. Customers love choices, but it can get tricky. So is there is there a, a process, a guideline that you you use? It's uh, it, it varies, I'd say, by by customer, sometimes application and sometimes by dealership or even salesperson. And the reason I say that is there are fleets that will have, this is my spec, these are my components, do not deviate, I want this manufacturer for this piece, that's how you're quoting it. And largely that's probably because they have a shop at their place where they have parts on the shelf that if you throw in supplier A and they have supplier B, it's a nightmare for them because they don't have parts on the ground. It, mm -hmm. So it's a, so. Part of it is how they are set up to support the fleet once it's been acquired. When you get into the smaller companies that aren't running their own shops, uh, sometimes it comes down to 
the dealer support and, and, the, and the salesperson support. You know, personally speaking, if I'm going to sell a company a truck, I want to make sure that all the components that are on there, I have support for if there's an issue or if there's a failure, if there's a question, if there's a warranty item. So if I have a good relationship with the OEM rep from those component trees, traditionally they're the ones I quote um, so that I know something happens with you know an axle or, or, or something like that I, it's one phone call they can come out they can check they can talk to the customer walk us through it and help us through it where if i'm going strictly you know on, on a price and i don't know the rep or you know or, or the company very well and you know but it's the cheapest piece if something goes wrong I, I, by myself you know we'll, we'll figure it out we're there to support the customer but it, it always helps to have the oem on your side to help walk you through things and they're always willing to get involved and help support the customer. And that's usually why I'll talk to the customer too. I, I put on these components because I know X, Y, and Z person who, if you want to meet them, if you want to talk to them, you know, let's help you out. Like I, you know, recently I had a truck that was having some performance issues. You know, we weren't sure really what it was. Uh, sent the VIN of, uh, ended up being a transmission thing, sent the VIN to my transmission rep. He looked at it, said, eh, we could change, the, you know, the parameters on it. So he changed it. He drove out to the customer's place, plugged in that day, fixed the parameters, and off we went. But if I don't know the guy, I can't make that happen. So a lot of it is, you know, how, how well can those componentry support your customer? Obviously, you got to be able to perform and do the duty. That's that's the other piece. So you got to make sure you're specking the right thing. But if you know you've got the support and they're willing to help and work with you to keep the customer happy when there are issues, I think that's a huge factor as far as looking at the manufacturers that you partner with to to support your customer with on the product. Does Rush have like a, a stable of component manufacturers that they prefer working with? Is that basically what I'm hearing? Is that you know, these are people that we know, we trust, and that when we put the Rush name out there that we know these people aren't gonna leave us out hanging. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, it's um, clearly when we, we have our sales meetings and that we'll, we'll bring in those guys, you know, so we'll, the, the team, the management team does a great job of making sure we know who the people are at all the OEMs so that we are not left high and dry. Um, right. You know, because if there's a stock piece of equipment on the ground that has component tree B, I mean, it, it's on the ground. It is what it is. The guy wants it. That's great. If something goes wrong, we need to figure out who is that rep if we need it when, when something happens. So they've done a good job at making sure as you know, new sales guys get on board or just you know, throughout the year, we're getting touch points with the different OEM reps to talk us through, you know, whether it's new products, but at least you know who the person is. So, you know, you probably need them once or twice a year, maybe, but it's that once or twice a year when you need them is you're scrambling because someone's yelling at you because the truck's broken down and we can't figure it out. So the biggest piece is knowing who to call, get some information, or even while you're specking it, right? You have a person you can talk to and, and ask some questions and get some clarification on, hey, this is the application. I'm looking at you got three different product lines. Which one should I be using here, right? Or they'll come with you to see the customer and let them ask the questions. So the relationship, I think, is key, you know, from start to finish. But yeah, definitely, you know, Rush is a dealership. You know, we work well with all the OEMs and, we, you know, we make sure that we, the team is aware of, you know, who the best person is to contact when, when we do need them. Any final words for our listeners from yourself and Rush before we sign off? Uh, you know, from a, a selfish point of view, definitely want them to check out the podcast. I know we've had a chance to chat and that'll be coming up soon. So make sure to keep an eye out and we'll, we'll, we'll cross promote that as we go. But, you know, definitely it's it's an interesting uh, year this year. It's going to be a fun one to navigate. Uh, I think we've positioned ourselves well from from an inventory point of view. 
uh, which will be good as you know as there's shortages and delays of getting getting trucks in people's hands I think I think we've positioned ourselves well and you know we're looking to keep growing as as the years continue so we're here to help uh, from start to finish you know we say to you know everyone says a circle life or the cradle of grave with equipment you know from acquiring your truck to maintaining it to rentals if you go down leasing if you don't want to own to hey we'll buy it off you when it's done and get you into a new one so it's uh we're there to support everyone start to finish and uh, look forward to working with everyone in the southern ontario area and appreciate taking the time to talk to you guys today and, and have a good chat about kind of what we're seeing in the market i appreciate it jason it's been great talking to you thank you for joining us for our listeners remember you can always subscribe to our podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcasts and please if you like what you hear share it on social media to submit if you have any questions or comments if you want to take a look at the episode transcripts so uh, you can visit our website elcowheels.com slash podcast really want to thank you all for listening we'll see you next time Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation, manufacturing, and technology. Inventing the first forged aluminum wheel in 1948, its team of experts continue to develop the most lightweight, efficient, and high-performing commercial vehicle aluminum wheel products. Bringing you revolutionary innovations like Alcoa Durabright wheels, Alcoa Durablack wheels, the new Alcoa Wheels hubboard technology, and the lightest truck wheel on the market, Alcoa Ultra One 22.5 by 8.25 wheel. Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation.